This episode is sponsored by NextGen Advisors, creator of the Advisor Mastery Track, where you can learn everything you need to create state-of-the-art client solutions and win more cases, even edging out the big dogs in your market. Stay tuned to learn more and for a special 25% discount code for our listeners only. And now, here's David with this week's episode. If data and numbers rule the world, at least our world, how is one TPA making sure that data is accurate and actionable? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. This is the Shift Shapers podcast, connecting benefits advisors with thought leaders and entrepreneurs who are shaping the shifts in the industry. And now, here's your host, David Saltzman. And to help us answer that question, we have invited Daniel Grun, Chief Marketing Officer at Leading Edge Administrators. Hey, Daniel, welcome. Hey, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for taking some time to share your thoughts with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey, because almost nobody in this business ends up doing what they you know, started doing. So how do you get to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, it's uh, not one of those things where when you're in uh, seventh grade, you're like, hey, I'm going to go into insurance. Um, I was, you know, I was in the nonprofit world, working with special needs, young adults, putting myself through school. Accidentally, I became a health insurance broker uh, for a very brief period. Um, And when the opportunity uh, presented itself for me to get involved on the third party side and uh, try to instill some change in the actual market, get creative, build rather than sell somebody else's product, I, I obviously jumped on that. Uh, fast forward uh, about nine, nine and a half years later, and I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, you're right. Nobody in seventh grade says, I think I should go. And if they do, they should be tested immediately and probably kept away from sharp <laughs> objects. But, you know, it's been a great career for a lot of us, myself included. So I guess I can't grouse too much. Uh, but it, it's never the way you start out, right? Um, no. so tell me what the problem is that you guys are working on. I mean, wh- wh- where do you see the biggest need? Yeah, so again, the need... It's almost two separate questions, the need and the biggest problem, right? The biggest problem is the evolution in the market and the market itself staying static, right? It's it's a combination of regulatory, the cost of care, the access to care, the education of care, and staying kind of ahead of the curve on that. And, and typically, the best we find the best course of action to do that is really to have great relationships with partners, right? So understanding the people who have boots on the ground, who are talking to their clients on a daily basis to anticipate the need coming down the horn rather than trying to solve the, the needs of yesterday. Um, I would say that was really, the, you know, for, 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 from my experience, the biggest problem. Um, you know, the second part of that is, I'm sorry, if you can repeat the second part of that question, which was the biggest problem and the biggest need, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The biggest need is, and it sounds somewhat cliche in nature, it's to provide benefit, right? These are benefits. These are supposed to be people's health cares without it putting companies out of business. And that's been the challenge since really, in my opinion, the Affordable Care Act and the, the you know, things like COVID certainly didn't help that. Cost of care is going up excessively and being able to create ways to deliver quality benefit at somewhat of an affordable cost has been, you know, definitely from, from my experience, one of the largest needs I've seen in the last decade or so. You talked about the folks with boots on the ground and, you know, Self-funded plans are now reaching smaller and smaller and smaller groups, groups that you and I would never have considered credible or, or even a good candidate 
for self-insurance, even a few years ago, do you see the complexion of the army, the people who have the boots on the ground changing? And do they really understand what they're selling or do they need more, more help and more training and more handholding? Boy, is that a loaded question. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think um, the answer is across the board. Obviously, you have your best in breed that, that certainly do know. Um, unfortunately, there is uh, somewhat of irresponsible selling out there, especially when, look, I don't think it's from a malice perspective. I think brand new ideas come out that in concept are brilliant, right? Reference-based pricing would be one of those concepts, right? Anytime you have the ability to lower the cost of care and still allow for care, you know, obviously the downstream impacts of that can be positive. However, the education associated to that has, to my opinion, is still lacking and some of the infrastructure, right? So everyone wants to be on the cutting edge, but there's a fine line between cutting edge and baiting your, your, your new programs correctly. Yeah. I mean, but for some of these folks, they're sliding down the razor blade of life. When you talk about cutting edge, um, I, you know, years ago, the carriers had programs and they wouldn't let you loose in the field unless you had been to Prue school or, you know, one of the other Things. I mean, I I went to I was with State Mutual Life out of Worcester, Mass, and they they sent me to Worcester for four weeks, and I thought, you know, geez, I'm 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 brand new with this business. Who did I piss off? But they taught me a lot while I was up there, and and then they put me out on the street. So are are you guys engaged in doing some of that training, just of necessity? Yeah. So again, with with us personally. Um, the, the relationship to the people that we're doing business with is extremely important because it's not a one-way trust just to grow your business. It has to be a two-way trust because what people don't realize, you know, you have to look at things kind of organically, right? So you have to look at it from the point of a business and be honest with yourself. It, your, your cost of acquisition is so high that if you're not retaining clients long-term, it's a bad business model. And the only way to really retain business is to trust the people that are both bringing you to that business and helping you manage that business. And to your earlier point, in terms of more options available to the smaller market, yeah, see, I mean, realistically, if you're looking at any of, let's say, Kaiser's data, you'll see any group over 500 or 1,000, it's the high 80s that they're already self-funded, right? So stop loss, which is a lot of the, the product associated to self-funding to allow risk to be palatable to really any group, has now created programs and have gotten creative that you can leverage some of the capabilities that historically only the big boys had access to. But the, the partners you choose to educate you on what's out there and what is um, really appropriate for your risk appetite really will, in my opinion, dictate your success or not, right? So for example, um, you know, we all know what 1212s are, right? 1212s is a great way to beat a spreadsheet, but is not a great way to sustain a long-term benefit, right? Unless your education is appropriate, which is, hey, you're coming from fully insured. You don't necessarily year one need a mature contract, but understand this is a 24-month strategy. And whether you run great or not, at the end of that, you're going to have to mature that contract and there's going to be cost and additional risk associated to that. If that conversation, this is just one example, if that conversation is had appropriately up front, you have a phenomenal outcome. However, if they're running at 50 or 60% and suddenly they're getting an increase and they don't understand why, or they have claims in inventory that fall outside of a contract because they don't want to take a run-in provision, suddenly you have done an irresponsible thing while trying to do something positive. And that's just one of the small examples. 
Yeah, the letters I, B, N, and R are foreign to a lot of groups that aren't sold properly until all of a sudden they say, wow, we've had a great first year. And you want, no, you've had a good nine months, even though 12 months have elapsed. And uh, on, all four of those months are credible. Right. You know, I, why didn't you explain this to me before? I, you know, was, back in my TPA days, we do, did a lot of work unscrewing stuff. And I'm sure, you know, you do too. Folks with good intentions go out and they want to find the best solution for a client. And sometimes they wade into water that's a little deeper than they ought to be. In, and they don't take a partner like a, you know, knowledgeable TPA with them. I'm sure the technology has changed a lot since, you know, I, I was in the TPA side of the industry. Um, what are you seeing with technology that's helping you guys provide a better product out on the street? So, yeah, I mean, technology is certainly evolving and you have baseline technology, which is helping things like, you know, these, these apps right now with, with integrated telemedicine and you can get access to your ID cards and your accumulators. It can even geofence and help you find doctors. But to me, what's exciting, a little bit nerve wracking at this point because we're still very much investigating it, but is the, the implementation of some of this bot technology, which will allow us to better streamline things like customer service function, things like EDI build, right? Which is historically a very lengthy and sometimes expensive proposition. By alleviating some of those costs and timelines, you can essentially ensure a better outcome at a more reasonable cost. So that is something we're very, very excited about. Um, but but technology in general has evolved, right? Yeah, I, I think you, if you went back in time 10, 15 years, people talking about APIs and EDIs would be just the carrier to the doctor's office. You know, groups with their payroll vendors and with their Bena admin systems wouldn't have integrations into the TPA in real time, and they do today. And, and you know, the segment is called, you know, data integrity for, for all intents and purposes, right? We all know this, the saying, garbage in, garbage out. So the more that infrastructure you can put to make sure that it's not garbage in, the better chance you have of making sure it's not garbage out. And now, a word from our sponsor, NextGen Benefits. Our industry's changing, and you need to change with it. You want to be the advisor who brings cutting-edge solutions to clients and creates long-term relationships that build your business and provide the future you envision. But where can you learn how to build, market, communicate, and win those cases? The NextGen Advisor's Mastery Track gives you everything you need. You'll master NextGen benefits quickly and learn to speak the language of the C-suite so you can successfully conduct those strategic financial conversations that allow you to deliver high-quality health care with lower costs. You'll also be positioned to start taking bigger groups from bigger advisors. An intensive three-day in-person basic training provides the knowledge, and 12 months of follow-up roundtables provide the collaboration, cooperation, accountability and encouragement to help you master applying that knowledge. The Mastery Track has already helped students just like you to create exponential growth in their practices. If you're tired of trying to win today with yesterday's solutions and want to become a next generation advisor, go to nextgenbenefits.com forward slash mastery to learn more. And for a limited time, use code SHIFT for a 25% discount when you register. Again, that's nextgenbenefits.com forward slash mastery. And remember, use code SHIFT. Now, back to our conversation. How do you go about making sure that the data that you provide to a client is clean and complete? 
Right. So, I mean, the magic word in, in, in IT right now is testing then production, right? You have to make sure that you have a very, very specific spec built for your EDI. You have to make sure that you have a open dialogue with the person you are grabbing and pushing information to. You have to test in a non-productive environment to make sure that the outcome yield, and then you go from testing into production. Then you have audit, right? So audit, it should be both internal to the unit, and then you have quality, which should be external to the unit, right? Everything you can do to make sure that your exchanges from the information in is secure will, again, very, very much improve the outcome of your data out. I also would recommend that you have multiple sources of data, right? So it's a very big um, you know, thing in the market right now. Uh, another one of these technologies is data lakes, da- data warehouses, right? Let's, let's, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be using vendors by name, but there's, there's several of them. Springbuck, Deerwalk, there's a self-insured reporting, there's a bunch of them. By putting your data into a format where they're receiving very similar data from many, many sources, sometimes you can identify if there is an issue or it can verify that your process is working um, well. And then the outcome of that, right? So you should have your internal reporting and your external reporting. And you should be auditing and making sure that, that you can reconcile the difference between them. The other thing really is, is to label your data correctly, right? So if you are reporting to a client and you're reporting financials, don't pr- present it as claims paid data, claims uh, present it as financials and vice versa, right? If you're showing a paid claims registry, don't show that as the universe of claims, show that as the cash claims. It is very important to label and to explain what it is that your data is representing rather than take the premise that people just understand it. You, you mentioned a few of the data warehouses and one of the things that I think we need education on Beyond just understanding the the claims data is to put that against benchmarking. Would you talk about benchmarking and explain how how actually important it is, especially if you get into the you know what we used to call non credible groups? Yeah, so look, benchmarking is important for you to know in a holistic view how you're doing through the overall market. But like everything else, there's many layers to that onion, right? So you have to be able to break down to specific uh, demographics, specific SIC. What it really helps you do is understand where there are opportunities for you to put resources to change outcomes, um, so yeah, th- there's, there's, there's tremendous, tremendous value in benchmarking. Now, that being said, they're trying to leverage benchmarking in, and, and, and kind of marry it with AI to kind of bridge the gap on an underwriting basis. And unfortunately, like many other things we see in this industry, there was a failure to launch the first time out, right? I, I'm sure everyone is somewhat familiar with something called GRX or Curve, which was them trying to extrapolate data from pretty much pharmacy and giving it credibility on in the entire group, which, which, which unfortunately did not go well. And a lot of uh, partners got burned on that exchange. So they're a little bit more hesitant now, even though the tools available to them are significantly better. But now you have a bunch of things out there like Rover and Gradient and, and, and several others that can take your benchmark data, can take their geographical data, can pull publicly available information and build a risk portfolio. So now where historically benchmarking has been very important for you to see your outcome once you're in an arrangement, now benchmarking can actually help you get into arrangement, which you were limited to before because you did not have access to your data. Is that still more a province of the stop loss carriers than of the than, than of the plans? 
So I, yes, yes and no, right? So to the, to the stop loss carriers, it makes the risk palatable to them for them to write it. For the groups themselves, it, it gives them tools and capabilities if they have the right partners to make sure that they're not wasting money in stop loss. So for example, if you're much better than benchmark in certain areas like your you know, facility-based claims, I would recommend leveraging something called uh, an aggregating spec, which is you retaining some more of your own risk inside of your premium, which historically people weren't utilizing before. So I think knowing where your plan's utilization is versus where utilization is as a whole gives you as a consumer some power as well. I, I think that I think that's true. Skipping ahead a little bit, are, are you seeing a lot of folks employing reference-based pricing? Do you think it's a good idea, a bad idea? Is it still as blunt an instrument as it was when we first start talking about it? So it's a very, very, in my opinion, complex conversation because reference-based pricing on its surface is, is brilliant in concept, right? Assuming the provider will accept it, assuming the provider knows what it is, assuming that the provider um, doesn't essentially deny you at point of service or nine months later decides what's going on here. So deployed correctly, I think reference-based pricing is very important. I think it, it is probably a step to where we go long term, which is probably more of a blend between reference based and direct contracting. Um, however, um, I also do believe that there isn't necessarily room for a buka in a reference based pricing environment. I think you can yield a lot of the outcomes of reference based pricing while still partnering with different variations of a carrier to try to improve on the process or the experience of the member itself, which in my opinion was the biggest thing that got left out with the development of RBP. And now, just now, are the resources being created and deployed correctly to potentially make reference-based pricing more available and more seamless to you know its end user. I also would recommend that you do things in stages. Don't jump from A to Z. Don't take a client from a fully insured Cadillac blue plan to a reference-based pricing. You take them in stages. You can take out-of-network coverages and show them what reference-based looks like and have them go on that journey with you. You know, it's interesting you mentioned BUCAs, and and I guess very shortly, maybe next year, BUCA will be a literal four-letter word. Um, Do do you caution clients against ASO-type plans where they're still, they've kind of got one foot on one side of the river and one foot on the other? So again, this is just a personal choice. I try not to deal in absolutes. I, I think understanding a client's need, their the, the the their agenda on what they're trying to achieve with their benefit, their appetite for risk, and their financial situation um, is very important before making a recommendation. Look, the bukas do and will always have their place in this world, right? I mean, at the end of the day, on guaranteed is- issue business, they're essentially operating as state funds. So there's always going to be the need for a book. And even in environments where you're, you're looking at provider-only networks or micro networks or direct contract networks, there's always going to need be the need for that infrastructure. Is it utilized more than necessary? In my opinion, yes. Is it not necessary at all? In my opinion, absolutely not. They do have 100% of place here. Well, because otherwise, I mean, if, if you get a prospect, if you're an advisor and you get a prospect who is really timid about going full tilt boogie self-funded maybe it scares them maybe they're not sure about their cash flow you know whatever there this is kind of a middle ground isn't it for 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 uh, advisors to maybe 
stash a client for a year or two and then move them into a fully self-insured plan? So like, uh, like everything else, from an intention perspective, certainly, right? So let's say, let's use Aetna and Cigna, for example. They have level funded plans, right? Or minimum premium plans, which allow you to segue nicely into the self-funded environment. Now, again, there are caveats to those programs where sure. you're not entitled to 100% of your surplus, and but it's a nice way to dip your toe in. However, um, circling back to the topic of conversation, data. The issue with some of these environments is you don't get the necessary data out of them or the appropriate data out of them to transition yourself appropriately. And that's been a tremendous challenge then into a fully independent environment on a self-funded basis. That has been a, a tremendous challenge. And I think in the coming years, that is going to be something that we see change drastically. And that is going to give people a lot more capability than they have today. We've got a minute left or so. Um, you, and you just touched on it very briefly. Do you see AI impacting in the next three, four, five years hugely what you guys do for a living? I do. I, cer- I, I, cer- I certainly do. Um, well, again, it, it, if you if you understand the the underwriting methodologies behind self funding, you, you you really look. They're all using Towers underwriting manual and how much they can get credible versus you know the experience versus the manual is the more aggressive you're going to get in a format. Now the carriers are getting smart. They're delaying their renewals to the point where you don't have enough time to bind them. They're changing the labelings on the spreadsheets from incurred to paid. It's the same subset of data, right? The underwriters never had issues taking it before, but suddenly it's stale information. AI will be leveraged to bridge that gap in data availability and and will change drastically the outcome of the kind of business that can be written, the conversion of that business. And when the market segment shifts that much, the carriers are going to be forced to pivot. And I think that will help the industry tremendously. Well, and I hope as that rolls out, you'll come back and visit us again. Daniel Grun, Chief Marketing Officer at Leading Edge Administrators. Daniel, thanks for a fascinating conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute pleasure. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shapers, LLC. The content and images of this podcast may not be used without our express written permission. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.